When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Steelers Preview Show presented by Unibet on WDVE Pittsburgh. Here are your hosts, Mike Brazuda and Matt Williamson. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Mike Persuda and Matt Williamson coming at you tonight until 8 o'clock as we have done throughout the season on Thursday nights. And Matt, uh, perhaps it's the final Steelers Preview. Some stuff got to happen for us to be sitting in these chairs next week talking about a playoff game. Well, first of all, it's been a blast every Thursday getting together and have had a good time doing it. I hope we get a chance to do it again, but I can't feel all that optimistic about it. I mean, trusting the Jags to pull one out is uh, not good business. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> even if that happens, the Steelers have to beat the Ravens, right, right. and then the Chargers and Raiders have to not tie. <laughs> right. Which, I don't know, if you get to Sunday, if you get to Sunday night and uh, the things have fallen uh, in a manner that both the Chargers and Raiders would benefit from a tie, I'm not above a good conspiracy theory, but uh, <laughs> yeah. first things first, we're going to start you off tonight with uh, the top story of the evening, and that is the Jaguars-Colts game, and there's no better guy to break that down for us than a guy that I've known in the business for a long time. He's a uh, sports reporter slash anchor for News 4 Jacksonville. His name is Cole Pepper and Cole, first off, uh, welcome to the show. I want to thank you for uh, spending some time with us tonight. Uh, please tell Steeler Nation how Jacksonville is going to win this game. And take as much time as uh, you need. <laughs> yeah, so here's how it works. Uh, they have a crack team of mechanics who will disassemble the bus for the Colts at their airport. <laughs> at the airport, they won't be able to get to the stadium. Forfeit, Jags win, celebrate everywhere around the country. No, it's it's a long shot, uh, obviously, when you talk about a, a, a team like the Jaguars. Uh, you know, we used to talk about, it, you know, how early some teams would be getting the uh, golf clubs in the trunk just to be ready. And um, I think there's a lot of guys on this team 
who are ready to do something other than football right now because it, it has been the craziest season that I have ever covered. And I've been covering this league since Marty Schottenheimer was you know, coaching in Kansas City. Now his son is the passing game coordinator here in Jacksonville. So uh, you know, I, I've had a generation's worth of, of covering the NFL, and I've never seen a crazier season with more dysfunction than what we had in uh, the, uh, the, the brief blip of the Urban Meyer tenure here in Jacksonville. Cole, I think what people around here are hanging their hats on are not the uh, the great play of the Jags, but it's been, what, since 2014 since the Colts have won in Jacksonville? Is there anything to that? Is, do you have any logic for why that might be? Well, there were some years there where the Jaguars were pretty good, um, you know, here and there. There were also some years where the Colts were really bad. You don't get the number one pick in Andrew Luck by being fantastic. But, um, you know, I, I don't. I don't really know what the, 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 the mojo has been here for the Jaguars. Last year is the only game they won right. was the season opener at home against the Colts. Then they lost 15 straight. Um, so I, I don't, I'm not really sure how that all went down, but I can tell you this. If you just look at who's being put out on the field right now and how they're being put in a position to win or lose, there's better structure, there's better talent, uh, there's certainly more motivation, everything else for the Colts. You know, I'm sure Steeler fans are sitting there saying, give us something to hang our hat on. Um, and uh, the, the one thing that maybe you can hang your hat on is that perhaps the most mature player on this team for the Jaguars in terms of the way he approaches things is saying that he still wants to go out and prove something in this last game of the season, and that's Trevor Lawrence. He may only be 22, but he is – the way he has handled himself this year through a very difficult season has been pretty remarkable. And uh, so if there's any chance that maybe Trevor Lawrence can do something to kind of vault toward next year after a season that's been certainly less than what anybody anticipated from the number one overall pick, maybe that's the one thing that can give Steeler fans and, and maybe Jaguars fans some hope. Well, I think that gives them a lot of hope. I mean, him being the Greek god of quarterbacks, if he's putting his mind to it, clearly he's going to stop throwing interceptions and start throwing touchdowns, right? <laughs> So, you know, when, it's funny. When we started this season, I said, uh, you know, on air and to anybody who would bother to listen and some who didn't want to, hey, I don't really care about how many interceptions Trevor Lawrence throws. Rookie quarterbacks throw interceptions. I mean, that's just what happens. What, what I wanted to see was I wanted to see the touchdown passes and I wanted to see the progress through the season. The coaching debacle basically derailed any opportunity to have real progress through the season from – you know, a quarter of the way through the year on. So Trevor didn't have much of a chance to do that. The, the receivers have been terrible. They dropped three dozen passes already this year from Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the thing that bothers me most about Trevor's year is that he hasn't thrown the touchdown passes. He went uh, where he had thrown uh, over 150 passes without a touchdown pass, and then he threw one late in the game last week on a screen pass to Daria Gumbawale, who, of course, is who you want to target when you want a touchdown. Um, so, uh, this, you know, this has been a, um, an underwhelming year on the field for Trevor Lawrence, but I think, uh, just judging his his tools, I wouldn't give up on him for the future. I just don't expect that much on Sunday. Cool. I hear what you're saying. Uh, I think we kind of share the same opinion on Lawrence though, that boy, I'll take a chance on him going forward any day of the week. And I, I still think that he has a chance to be spectacular. Yeah, and Matt, I mean, you tell me in terms of when you scout a quarterback, you, you could, it's very easy to judge the arm strength and the athleticism mm-hmm. and, you know, the measurables. 
But the things you want to see out of a young quarterback, I think, are leadership ability, ability to handle uh, himself in a crisis, uh, you know, some pocket awareness is nice, and being able to read the defense. And uh, while he's thrown some interceptions this year, several of them have been off the hands of receivers. He's made a couple of decisions where he's forced the ball uh, into, into some spots, as rookies tend to do. But, you know, we've seen bad rookie quarterbacks here before. Blaine Gabbert comes right to mind. Uh, this is not a guy who has that kind of lack of composure or lack of confidence or lack of uh, awareness of what's happening both on and off the field. Is there a chance the Jaguars can convince themselves they're playing the Steelers in a playoff game and they have no <laughs> chance to win? Only if they only if they convince them that it's in Pittsburgh. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> that that might be their best. There there are very few guys, by the way, remaining from that 2017 team. That yeah, here too. <laughs> Steelers in the regular season. Uh, right, right. Yeah, it, it's amazing what happens in the course of of four years. Miles Jack is one of them, by the way. Uh, you know who's playing uh, a fair amount, and there are a couple of guys on the offensive line. But it's it's few and far between right now. So um, uh, there may not be many terrible towels in the stands here. Um, but there will be some clown noses, I think. So who knows? Maybe that'll throw them off a little bit. Tell our fans what the clown noses are all about. I bet they not everyone here knows. It's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, so so this was uh, this is something that started on social media um, after the report what a week and a half ago uh, about um, I think it was Ian Rappaport's report that that Shad Khan was uh, planning on bringing Trent Balky back as the general manager. Some Jaguars fans, these are fans by and large in their you know in their thirties. Active on social media, uh, the Jaguars Twitter guys started changing their Twitter avatars to a picture of a clown with a curly mustache. Um, <laughs> I've seen it; it's fantastic. Shad Khan, and it kind of got you know caught fire after that. Um, and obviously, there are a lot of decisions that Khan has made from a football standpoint that deserve to be ridiculed because it's been a horrific decade of football here in Jacksonville, but for that 2017 season. Uh, and so now it's got to the point where you have, and I, it's tough to, to say what the number is going to be. I don't think it's going to be dozens. It'll certainly be hundreds and maybe thousands of uh, fans who are planning to go to what, what is, by the way, Fan Appreciation Day at TIAA Bank Field Sunday, uh, wearing some manner of clown outfit, uh, you know, clown paint on the face or uh, the, the rainbow wig and the, the red nose, the floppy whatever it is, uh, to show that they think it's a, you know, a clowning kind of direction to try to, to bring back uh, a general manager who's been part of the last two years, one as the GM and one as the assistant GM, um, and a guy who uh, you know, the fans have decided, listen, they want a clean sweep. And they should, by the way. I think that's what they should do. Kondo has not often been a guy who has swept the cupboard clean. He's, uh, he's tried to make piecemeal changes. Uh, after uh, you know saying goodbye to quarter to uh, to coaches, and it hasn't often worked. So um, the only time he really swept the cupboard clean, as far as the coaches are concerned, is when he brought in Urban Meyer, but he kept Trent Baalke around uh, after last season. So uh, the the Jaguars Twitter is um, is blowing up, and uh, they're calling it a clown out. They're spelling it K H L O W N in reference to Chad Khan's last name K H A N. We're speaking with Cole Pepper, uh, sports reporter slash anchor for News 4 Jacksonville uh, down in Florida. And Cole, I want to go back to mid-November. Uh, the Jaguars have achieved uh, the first half of their 
annual season sweep with the Colts. They lost in Indianapolis 23-17, to but uh, at least on the stat sheet, I'm looking at a competitive game. Uh, Jacksonville better on third down. Uh, Jacksonville more total net yards. Jacksonville more rushing yards. Uh, what do you recall from that game, and does anything from that game carry over to this one? Well, first, um, because time passes slowly in a pandemic and very slowly when you have a uh, you know a collapse of a football team going on in front of your eyes, it feels like forever ago that that game happened. But um, early on, uh, Jonathan Taylor was able to run rough shot over the Jaguars. There was also a blocked punt. Colts got up big early. Jaguars made some defensive adjustments, were able to stop. But I think the Colts got a little conservative in terms of what they were doing defensively. Offensively, for some reason, they decided to start throwing the football despite the fact that uh, they were running the ball all over the Jaguars. I think it was bad coaching, quite honestly, that kept that game closer than it should have been. Although, give credit, uh, after the first two drives, two and a half drives or so, uh, Joe Cullen, the defensive coordinator of the Jaguars, made some adjustments. Guys started staying in their in their gaps and making their plays, and, and so it made it a more competitive game. Um, it was one of those games where you start out and you think, and you guys maybe haven't experienced the volume of these kind of games that I have, so let me explain it, where you go, up. Oh, here we go again, this one's over, done by the middle of the first quarter, uh, we know where this is going. And then suddenly, late in the third quarter, you go, you know what, this, this, this game is almost close, Jaguars score, and now all of a sudden you're like, are they going to do this? Are they going to win this game? Jaguars had a couple of those games this year, couldn't close the door on either one of them, but um, uh, th- that, was, that was a game that, that looked out of hand by the time the first quarter was over, and then somehow, slowly but surely, the Jags got back into it. Yeah, the other game I wanted to ask you about was Buffalo because uh, a lot of people uh, see that as the upset of the season and certainly a bigger upset than a a Jaguars win on Sunday would be. Uh, Jacksonville was playing some pretty good defense around that time, was it not? And it certainly did against Josh Allen in a very good Buffalo offense. That was uh, Josh Allen sacking Josh Allen over and over. Yes. And, (laughs) And intercepting Josh Allen and forcing a fumble from Josh Allen and recovering a Josh Allen fumble. Um, that was, yeah, that was the storyline of that game, 9-6. Certainly the Jaguars' best performance defensively this year by a long shot. Um, They they were, you know, they were in a stretch of games where they were, you know, allowing 20, 21 points a game, certainly respectable. Um, The offense wasn't holding up their end of the bargain, so they weren't winning many of those games. But um, that was their best performance by far. Um, They were also at, at closer to full strength at that point. Um, they've been hit recently by COVID quite a bit. They've had a lot of guys who've been out and back. and um, uh, Some guys missed time and, and missed a game or missed practice and played in the game. So they, they've got a little bit of a hodgepodge right now in terms of the uh, uh, what's going on uh, on defense. The other thing that's happened is, is at that point of the season, Josh Allen, the Jaguars' Josh Allen, was starting to assert himself in terms of the pass rush. He has really disappeared over the last two or three weeks, maybe maybe month. Uh, so uh, the pass rush has been – basically non-existent. Caleb on chase on the former uh, first round pick has uh, not looked like he knows where the ball is on the field. Most of the time that looks like a blown first round pick for this team as well. Uh, their most consistent pass rusher has been Dewan Smoot. And um, you know, he's one of those guys who, if you had a very good defense and he was your fourth pass rusher, you'd feel great about it. But right now he's kind of one or one a in terms of the pass rush with this team. So they're not getting after the quarterback very well at all. And they tend to fall behind in games and, don't see a lot of passing plays either. So it's then it comes down to stopping the run. Cole, you mentioned, you know, just a bit ago about 
you've seen a lot of these games where right off the bat, you're like, uh-oh, here we go again. Well, it sure seemed like that last week against the Patriots. Were there any signs of life? Uh, no. <laughs> sure uh, like. you know, there are about five games this year where you could go, well, that's the worst game of the season. I'm not sure the Patriots game quite gets to that point. Um, you know, maybe a little bit is, you know, from an emotional standpoint, the fact that Mac Jones dismantled the Jaguars and Mac's from here in Jacksonville. Um, and, you know, you, you have that little kind of emotional side to it. But, uh, no, th- there wasn't much of a sign of life at all last week. Um, the Patriots did whatever they wanted to. Listen, you've got Daryl Bevel uh, as the interim head coach and Joe Cullen as a defensive coordinator. I think Joe's a good coach. First time he's been a defensive coordinator, Bevel trying to handle things as, as, the, as the interim head coach. And so Brian Schottenheimer is basically calling the plays right now. You've got a bunch of guys in roles that they weren't in last year at the end of the year for this team. None of them were with this team. Cullen had never been a defensive coordinator before. And when the season started, Bevel was the offensive coordinator and, and Schottenheimer was the, the passing game coordinator, basically the you know, glorified quarterbacks coach. So um, it, when you go up against Bill Belichick and company, you know, Josh McDaniels, forget about it. I mean, that's, they they were they were out coached, outplayed, outperformed at every turn last week, and as you might expect. Cole, last thing I got for you uh, since you brought up Daryl Bevel, if it's close, if it's a uh, one score game late, and the Jaguars get to the one yard line, they're going to run it, right? Throw it, throw it, throw it. <laughs> <laughs> Bev's not going to be calling the plays in that situation. Okay. But maybe he's going to off on it. I mean, you can't <laughs> overrule the guy or anything like that, right? I mean, it's. Right. Yeah. Well, the previous head coach apparently couldn't if it went wrong. So that's all we know here in Jacksonville. Uh, well, hey, Cole, it was great catching up. Uh, missed those days on the uh, Jaguars radio network and that uh, wide array of talented uh, writers and broadcasters you had uh, for working uh, with you. Uh, I, I enjoy uh, Mike DeRocco's work in The Athletic and uh, glad you could spend a few, to- a few minutes with us tonight. Uh, enjoy the game, I think. Well, I will because I know it's, you know, the end is nigh. So that's what I'm looking forward to on Sunday, guys. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Cole. Catch up down the road. Uh, That was Cole Pepper, the sports anchor with uh, anchor, a sports anchor and reporter with News 4 in Jacksonville. Matt, he didn't sound overly optimistic. Not so much. That an upset is about to occur. I think he's pretty excited for it to be over. And boy, what do you, can you imagine covering that team this year? Holy smokes. Boy, if that's the prevailing sentiment, uh, Steelers playoff hopes are in trouble. In trouble. uh, uh, they got to worry about their own business, uh, maybe uh, an occasional one eye on the scoreboard, but uh, they better have uh, full focus and attention on the Baltimore Ravens because uh, that rivalry has uh, produced the kind of games that usually go down to the wire and the records usually don't matter and it often doesn't matter who's playing. Uh, so it should be more of the same at M&T Bank Stadium on Sunday. Steelers still have some work to do before we uh, put a bow on the 2021 season. When we come back, we will welcome the third member of our crew. Merrill Hodge has been with us all season. He'll be with us again tonight, and we'll start breaking down Steelers-Ravens for you. With Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. You're listening to Steelers Preview right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers Preview Show, presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson with you here tonight on the flagship and SNR until 8 o'clock as we get you ready for the regular season finale, the Steelers at the Ravens on Sunday. Time now to welcome Merrill Hodge to the program. Uh, Merrill has uh, joined us each and every week this year, and it's always been 
a highlight of the show. And, Merrill, before we get into breaking the game down, I got to tell you, it was an emotional night Monday night at Heinz Field. The star of the show, just based on the circumstances, was Ben Roethlisberger. I got to give number two star to the guy who rushed for 188 yards for Pittsburgh, but clearly the number three star of the evening, the guy who got things started with the terrible towel twirl, looking resplendent in that number seven jersey and pumping up the crowd and really setting the tone. Good job. Uh, well, listen, I I think it's just unfair to not acknowledge that. That towel twirling is a skill. I'm undefeated. Nobody's. We've never lost when I, when I twirl a towel. And I'm sure that that coaching staff would appreciate that. There's no problem after game plan that week if I'm going to throw the towel. Now, that being said, something i got to tell you. Okay, that jersey, that jersey actually we got from a fan about two minutes before um, <laughs> we went on it. Nice. That's a true story. Uh, okay, here's – so, Jim, okay, you guys know Jim Rooney? Yeah. Okay, okay, so Jim Jim and I have been on more trips together, and they're all train wrecks. If I'm ever with Jim, it's train wreck. But he always has great ideas. So, they, they gave me my jersey. And he's like, why don't you have number seven jersey on? I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. So they tried to get first go back to the uh, the store and grab one. They were out, obviously. They got one and for so, the guy that sung the national anthem for crying out loud. Why couldn't they get you one? Well, we're doing this. We're doing this at the the last second. You know, this wasn't thought out. You know, it was thought out way before the guy who sang the national anthem, who did an incredible job, by the way. Um, so we're trying to get this done. So when, when we look up in the stands, I see. I see, and I, the guy's about my size. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Then I see Jim crawl up in the stands, and he goes to a guy that's three times my size. And I'm like, no. I'm like, anyway, so, but that guy was kind enough to let me have the shirt and put it on before we went out. I literally threw it over my head just about two seconds before we went on there so that we had number seven um, on there versus my jersey, which was the perfect thing to do, actually. Merrill, Mike mentioned Najee, you know, briefly there. Is there something to build on there, or is it a fluky thing? Is the is the line, you know, uh, cutting down on the mistakes? I mean, is there a little bit of optimism there with the well, run game for you? Well, I'll tell you this. They played together as good as I've seen any offensive line all year play together from this perspective, okay? I don't know if you noticed, but um, the Bronco, I mean the Broncos, the Browns, were run blitzing a lot. And and I understand why they do that because the Steelers have struggled with that, you know. So they take linebackers and run them through and slant at the last second, you know. And they've missed a lot of those uh, when, when teams do that. And they blow they, – they get runs blown up. They don't account for people. There was an eight – there was a probably a dozen runs that Najee had, and they were anywhere from, you know, a four-yard run to an eight-yard run. If you mind – Explosive run in the NFL is 10 yards. You know, so you get eight, and that's a big run in the NFL, eight yards, 10 yards. And you obviously have some bigger runs than that. But to watch them, and now this includes the tight end too. Fryermuth was also dialed in. You know, and we always forget about, well, we blame the offensive line for everything. And then if we give them credit, we have to extend it to the tight end. But those guys adjusted so well at the snap by blocking the guy that wasn't their responsibility, but the guy who was most dangerous by rule. And that, that's what they did such a good job of that they have not done. So sure, man, if you can play like that, I'll tell you what you do to teams. You, you, you put four weeks of that on tape, well, people won't do it to you anymore. Because one thing that does happen if you do run blitz 
and you do do that, you can get exposed because you get people out of their gaps, which happened. You know, they they stopped doing it later. So um, they did such a good job. They, they, were, they were actually as dialed in as I'd seen. It was about as a good a work with five, six guys uh, in the trenches as I've seen anywhere across the league this year. And, you know, then Naji, you know, he compliments that. You know, you can get all that done, but that eight-yard run I'm talking about, well, they got him five. He got another three by running over people, burning through people. So I've always believed that he's – I mean, he's – McKenna, Alabama, he's just a gifted runner. His size, his footwork, his instincts, his patience. You know, you can do that on a weekly basis. You know, he can lead the league in rushing without a question. It's interesting you bring up the tight ends. Uh, we had a chance to talk to J.C. Hassenauer, who started at center in place of Kendrick Green. And Hassenauer said the difference with uh, the former offensive line coach, Adrian Clem, having left for Oregon, uh, the the assistant who's now been elevated to head offensive line coach, Chris Morgan, they included the tight ends and the running backs in the offensive line meetings. And Hassenauer seemed to think that that had everybody more on the same page in terms of the running game. Uh, talk to me a little bit, if you I can, like about, about the impact an offensive line coach has besides telling them, you know, which uh, blocking sled they're going to hit. Yeah. Well, you know, he sounds like a good one, you know, even though he was the assistant. I forgot about that. You know, I did forget about that. You know, I listen, good coaching, you know, it does matter. You know, you get guys that know how to, how to teach in the trenches, you know, and how to how to develop guys. Um, and I think uh, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my God, that's a, that's, a, that's a really smart thing to do because – you know, usually you're in three different meetings, you know, are you being told the same thing, you know, so to bring them all together with a group that hasn't been all together or on the same page, I mean, it paid off. I'm going to tell you this, and you could see the difference out there. It was a big difference. So, you know, hopefully they'll keep doing that. Hopefully they can, they can transition that into another big game uh, this Sunday. You know, sticking with the tight ends, Merrill, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, where Fryermuth is in his career, and I, I thought I wrote Gentry off years ago, and I'm super impressed with him as a, yeah, as me a blocker too. now. I thought he had no on, yeah. Yeah. on both counts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you got yeah. What, what year is Gentry? This is third, right? Third year. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I would tell you this: there wasn't, you know, when Fryermuth went out a, a couple times, you know, you didn't see a letdown. You know, um, one thing I liked about Gentry when he came out, or excuse me, Fryermuth is. Um, I thought he had a huge upside to be a good route runner. And you saw his skills during the year. Um, he'll block people, you know, he'll get in there. And, uh, you know, that run I was telling you about, I mean, he, he was responsible for the stack backer. So the stack backer runs through. So he goes to the next stack backer. Well, Hassan Howard comes off because that's really his guy. And he eventually gets him. And then uh, Friar looks back to the right and ends up blocking the safety. I mean, that's how, that's how you, I mean, that's, that's good football. You know, that's a good, an instinctive player. So, you know, I, I've been impressed with him all year. Both of those guys, I think they got um, they got a good tandem there. Um, they don't just block, but they catch the ball really well, too, so you can get the ball in their hands, which is always a plus. Merrill, uh, Kendrick Green didn't play last week because he had a calf injury. He hadn't practiced. He went on the COVID-19 list today, so I don't know if we're going to see him. Uh, Dan Moore Jr., everybody around the Steelers is giving him – a lot of credit for playing through what apparently was a pretty bad ankle injury, but he hasn't practiced yet this week either. 
Uh, both of those guys played a lot of snaps on a line that uh, was, you know, in in the uh, the, Work in progress. The, there were bullseyes on their back in terms of all the criticism yeah. that they took. But do you suspect that next year, Dan Moore's the left tackle and Kendrick Green is the center? Well, I would think so. Listen, what well, you see your most improvement in your second year, and that's almost true across the board. When you don't see that improvement, then that's when I've always believed. Listen, you got to think about cutting bait. You know, don't let your ego drive you and go. Oh, we're going to develop them, and so you know, create excuses. If you don't see it in your second year, I'm telling you. Aside from quarterbacks, quarterbacks, they, you know, I've always believed it's a three-year deal. But everybody else, your second year doesn't mean they're going to be the they're they're, they're going to be the top. I mean, an All-Pro player or playing their best you're just going to see that improvement that you need to see and you know that this is the guy this this guy will be able to play for us no matter what the position but if you don't see that improvement in that second year um i just see so many i actually I think the patriots are the best at that as soon as they sense that this ain't gonna work bye yeah bye you know it's just so many times you hang on to guys and you know it becomes listen everybody's got an ego you know you, you don't want to make a mistake you know and you know, and you justify some things. And then you got coaches going, I can coach this and I can coach that. And the next thing you get bought into another year or two and and, and you hurt your team. But uh, I, I, I would expect these guys to be a lot better next year. I mean, a lot better. And Mike just mentioned that, you know, Green and Moore or fighting injuries might not be available. Well, Deontay Johnson's on the COVID list too. I mean, what kind of ripple effect does that have to the passing game against the Ravens? Yeah, well, he's your, you know, he's your dynamic. Yeah, he's your dynamic player. Um, now, does he have a chance to come off it, or is he? Uh, if he's or, vaccinated, yeah, I don't. Right? There's so many variables. Mike Tomlin said they're taking everything day to day, and they're going to play with yeah. who they have, and you know, that's all they can really do. Well, the only thing that you you got going for you is that um, you're not playing an explosive, dynamic offense on the other side. That is the one thing you know. You, you know. Um, that you got going for you. Um, but listen, you got other guys that can, you know, these are opportunities for other players to step up. I still think that, you know, listen, Claypool's really never had a, never had, really had a, anything close to what he had last year. You know, I mean, he's not on the COVID list, is he? No, no. Yeah, so, you know, you got, you still got players that you can, you got, you got your tight end group, you know, Najee's been big. So you still got ways that you can be effective in the passing game, um, you know. But that does hurt you. That 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 explosive guy, you know, you lose a little bit of that in your offense, and and that's what you. In the NFL, that is a real requirement. You need to have explosive plays in your when you play uh, to to win. Cause that's got to be a part of your offense. You got to find explosive plays, um, rather on the ground or in the air. Don't you think he's the best guy against man coverage too that they have? Oh yeah, yeah. Clearly. I remember when he came came out. You know what makes him so good? This is what makes all. Here's the here's the best thing, or the, the skill set you would want as a wide receiver if you have a chance to be good. Can you separate? Do you have dynamic feet? Can you get in and out of breaks? I don't really care about your your forty yard dash. Jerry Rice can confirm that he runs a four six, but he was so good at route running and so good at getting out of breaks, in and out of breaks. And that's what Deontay Johnson does. I mean, he is, even in college, he was like that. I knew he had a shot just because of how dynamic he could get in and out of breaks. 
and the way he could run routes and separate. I mean, you know, then he has speed too, so that just that just compounds the problem of trying to cover him. Well, let's stay with Claypool for a second because it's been a, a real head scratching year. You know, he was outstanding last year, and even they kind of dialed back in terms of how much they used him later in the season because uh, Mike Tomlin said he wanted to preserve him for the playoffs, didn't want him hitting that quote-unquote rookie wall. This year it looks like he's forgotten how to jump and come down and be able to land on his feet. He's not catching any 50-50 balls. He's not blocking anybody. Uh, the improvement's yeah. supposed to come between year one and two, right? You're not supposed to get worse. He's he's doing it backwards. Yeah, yeah Right, so this guy – so. You take Claypool and I'm a, let me back up here. Remember um, Delton Hall? Yes. This reminds me of Delton Hall. Rookie rookie year. Yeah, rookie of the year, right? Yep. Defensive rookie of the year. And he came back and he had some you know, he would do some things that were knucklehead moves, you know, and he had he, he just couldn't control himself. You know, then he broke his thumb, you know, and he never was shooting that was his best year. You know, he you know he never lived up to what his first year looked like. So you go to Claypool, you know, um, somebody's you could just tell by his body language, by the way he played, that he is he believes he's pretty good, and he doesn't have to work at it. Mm-hmm. And there's no greater um, or greater false sense of security think you don't have to work than just because you had a good rookie year, you're gonna have a great second year. You know, they they moved him around all over last year. They didn't. They didn't do that this year with him, you know. Um, and so your coaches will tell you everything about a player, you know, what they do with them, where they put them, can they trust them, and you couldn't trust him. So, you know, he's going to have to have a big year next year, and you're going to have to wake up and realize that, you know, if you're going to be great in this league, you've got to work at getting better every day. you got to carve out whatever you think your weakness is. you got to work at getting that better, um, find different ways to grow, and improve. And if you don't have that passion, commitment of every day, well, this this league will run your way. A lot of good players out there. A lot of guys that got cut didn't get to play this year. They're chomping at the bit. They get a shot, and you play like you did this year. It's easy to move on from something like that. They make it easy for you when they play like that. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays next year. Merrill, I don't mean to rain on what the Steelers did Monday night. It was a wonderful atmosphere and all those good things, and they ought to win. But do you agree that the uh, what the Browns put on the field was not exactly A plus material? You know, I've been confused with the Browns, you know, on and off all year. I've seen with game plans where, you know, like let's look at the Green Bay game. She's going to have 200 yards rushing. I mean, gash them. Now Baker's one guy killing ten. I mean, he throws a bunch <laughs> of picks, so you know that didn't help anything. But then they come into Pittsburgh and they're like, I'm like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's your that's the strength of your team, and you know your you know not you know your quarterback has limitations, and they're serious limitations. And they just kept putting him in those bad spots, so they don't help the right tackle. Just, and, you know. Yeah, there was a bunch of things you just watching. It's like, what are you doing? You know. Um, you know, that, and obviously you, you could just you could tell um, the sense of energy in that team, last, you know, Monday night versus the playoff game a year ago. It's <laughs> just different how how things unfold. It was very interesting, but um, you know, I can't answer that. You know, I just, I, but I've, they've done this all all year. You will they walk into a game and you're like, this is not even the Cleveland Browns. This, I don't even know who they are. 
I didn't think they got the, they get right the tacklers back. to the football. I mean, it just it was not a very great effort well, by the Browns, I thought. Yeah, well, well, they, well they, the way they were run blitzing, I, I thought they would get out of it once they started getting yeah, That's usually what happens. We used to always talk about teams like that. Like, listen, they might blow up a few plays, but once we hit a couple, they get out of it. Well, I don't even think they blew up any plays, maybe one. And they got gashed a bunch, and he kept doing it. And kept getting gashed. So, I don't know. Very interesting. Let's talk about the Ravens a little bit, Merrill, because uh, they're pretty interesting as well. Eight and eight. They've lost five in a row and six of eight. Early in the season, they were winning games. I was wondering how the hell they were winning them. And lately, they're probably wondering how the hell they've been losing because it's one point, two points, three points, chances to win all over the place, and they can't finish anymore. And uh, for the second straight day today, no Lamar Jackson again at practice. Uh, It's looking like Tyler Huntley's going to be the guy for the Steelers again. Baltimore has slim playoff hopes, as do the Steelers. Uh, who's got the edge here in uh, Baltimore Sunday? Well, I, I, I really think it's it's Pittsburgh. I mean, the, the Steelers have their advantage on both sides of the ball. You know, the one thing the I think everybody knows you got to deal with, but they're not as good at it as they have been is their running game. And, you know, their staple run, I don't know if people know this, but it's a power O. That's what they run the most. They just run it in so many different ways. I mean, and how they design their run, running game. I mean, I, I love their coordinator. I think he's just – he's brilliant when it comes to the running game. And really, he's really impressive in the passing game because he, he got, he's got limited guys. I mean, they're not true passers. You know, Huntley is not a true passer. I, I watched him forever when he was in Utah. Um, I, I never thought actually he'd – well, he's in the NFL because he's the perfect backup for Lamar Jackson because they can keep playing that style. Um, he is not a very efficient thrower. Um, he's okay accuracy, um, um, and he's not a real decisive guy, and that's a dangerous. You know, now can he scramble? Yeah, he can scramble, but he's not Lamar Jackson if he gets in the open. So they, you know, they've got um, they're limited. They're really limited on what they do. You just can't let them get big runs in the running game and gash you and control the game. That's ultimately who it comes down to. If you're able to control that, um, I'll take Tim. I'll take my chance on Huntley beating you. I don't see that happening. You know, and at the end of the day, you got seven. Seven always makes a throw here or throw there or play here or play there. That makes the difference, you know, and then go back to how they ran the ball. You know, let them control the game this time. Let the Steelers be the ones that control the game and, you know, get the Ravens reeling. You know, um, especially when they played last Monday night. You know, you got to carry that over. You can't just do it one time because, you know, then it's an accident. But if you can do it again, which I would expect that's the mindset, then you got you got a good chance to control this game, win this game, and then let the chips fall where they make. What is the, what is the, uh, what has to happen? Does Jacksonville have to beat the Colts? Is that what that's has to happen? Yeah. yeah, and the Chargers yeah. and Raiders can't tie. All right, well, see, I, I think I think I totally think the Raiders win. I'm gonna tell you this: I, I've been in games. Uh, listen, Carson Wentz is not playing very well. Now their running game might be just enough, and they got a pretty good defense to that it won't matter. But crazier things have happened. I remember it was '88. We went in to play the Houston Oilers. It was almost the same scenario for these teams, and we had we just had a bad year. We were not playing very well, and we went in there and beat the tar out of them. So. You know, I just 
you know, and I'm, I'm telling you, the Colts, Carson Wentz is not playing very well. He, he is like, every week I watch him, just like, what is he doing? So, you know, don't, I mean, this I stand a long shot, you know, and the odds are Jacksonville will win, but I'm, you know, I'm telling you, there's, there's enough signs in there to not, to be optimistic that Jacksonville could pull off an upset at home. Just to stick with that game real quick, Merrill, I don't know if you've watched much of Trevor Lawrence as a rookie or what your thoughts on him are. And, you know, with you being a former running back, i got to get your opinion on Jonathan Taylor, too. Well, Jonathan Taylor, I loved him when he came out of Wisconsin. When he came out, I was just, oh, God, his feet and his size and his just, no, I mean, speed. I just like, whew. I mean, I everybody kept talking about him not being able to catch the ball. And I was like, well, um, I remember they did the same thing with LaDainian Thomas. I went to the – Senior bowl, I watched him catch one ball, and I'm like, well, that ain't a problem. <laughs> the tech dude can catch. Um, go to Trevor Lawrence. Um, I tell you this. You, I, you talk about a bad, bad, bad job of coaching and developing that kid. They hung that kid out to dry. They didn't help him one bit. And for how he played under that environment and those circumstances, I just think um, I was very impressed with him. I really was. I think that he uh, – he does have a good chance to be really special. but And they don't have a lot around him, but they didn't do anything to help him, you know. Like, the one thing they did with Justin Fields is they, you know, they try to stick to their guns and run the ball and not not widen his scope too far until he's ready. Shoot, Trevor Lawrence, they're like, hey, listen, let's, let's go empty and throw it 55 times. Jeez, like, what the heck are you doing, man? But, you know, like pretty much shows that, you know, um, this ain't college, you know. He's just completely clueless to what the National Football League is. I mean, this is not my guys are better than your guys. Everybody's got every guy, every, all guys are good, <laughs> and we play on a different field and we play in the middle. And um, but hopefully he gets a coach there, and he doesn't have a bunch of turnovers because that's what ultimately gets a kid to. You know, you start having turnover and turnover and new coordinators. You can never find any rhythm. So hopefully. This change will be a permanent change. They'll get a good guy in there to help develop him and, and get him going with some consistency. Merrill, appreciate it. Uh, again, great job on that towel twirl. You uh, definitely influenced <laughs> an historic night in Steelers history. Not not the first time you've done that. I'm guessing it won't be the last. Uh, th- thanks a lot. And hopefully uh, we you will guys t- the best. <laughs> hopefully we'll talk to you next Thursday. Absolutely, boys. Have a good night. Take care. Merrill Hodge uh, joining us here on the preview. Matt and I still have a few things to get to before we get out of here. We're going to be coming at you tonight until 8 o'clock right here on your Steelers flagship, 102.5 DVE and SNR. Back to the Steelers preview show presented by Unibet on DVE. Welcome back to the preview. Mike Pursuta and Matt Williamson finish things off here tonight as we get you ready for the Steelers at the Ravens, the regular season finale on Sunday. Matt, uh, it's been... Uh, obviously not the kind of year the Steelers anticipated, not the kind of year they're going to want to go through again, and they've been springing leaks all over the place, and some of those have been pretty obvious. Uh, Some of them have not been as obvious, but they're just as uh, damaging. But it hasn't been uh, a complete disaster. Um, I'm curious your opinion on Mike Tomlin never having had a losing season no matter what happens Sunday. I think that's a pretty big deal. I think it's a really big deal. I mean, over that stretch of, of seasons and, I mean, uh, playing a year without your, your Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, just recently and still, you know, getting within a game of the playoffs. People forget. I mean, last year they made the playoffs. The two years before that, 
if this format was around, they would have went as the seventh seed. You know, they were just outside looking in. Um, I mean, they've won. I was just looking at it because I was still looking at Jacksonville. I mean, over the last five years, there's only been like six or seven teams of one more games than the Steelers. You know, I mean, Jacksonville and the Giants are at the bottom. There's a lot to be said for that. I mean, consistent winning in this league, there's about 15 to 20 human beings on earth that can lead teams to yeah, do that. It's very know? difficult. It and is. It's not, it's not like they're putting up a banner for that, but if that's your floor. If that's as bad as it gets. You're going to get to the high ceiling right. higher than anybody else occasionally, eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that's occurred to me uh, as this year has wound to a close, uh, you know, it, you're pretty desperate when you're picking guys up off the street, and yeah, you know, guys, are, you're getting guys that have been with multiple teams before they get to you. Mm-hmm. But Montrevious Adams, I think they found a keeper there. I think there's a handful. Akello really Witherspoon, I think they question. found a keeper there. Yep, and God I help mean, I'm me, I'm resigning Witherspoon. Huh? I'm resigning. Me Witherspoon. too. Yeah, I think their best three are no offense to Arthur Mallett. Or Millette. Millette. I think it, I think it's uh, Hayden and, uh, and Sutton Withers, in and, Witherspoon yeah, and, outside, yep. and Sutton is the nickel. Yeah, and Adams certainly should be in the mix next year. Even a couple draft. You know, how about Waitman? You know, I mean, he's a punter. I know that's not super exciting, but you get him for nothing, and yeah, he's looked really good. Uh, the other um, guys, I think Derek Tosca and Taco Charlton have Leglue and Haas. And, they've been you know, right, right, right. I mean, if. You're, you're, if they're your backups next year and they're the bottom third of your roster, it's a lot better than how it started this year. I mean, there's something to be said for that. And um, last thing for you tonight, uh, the emotion of that game on Monday yeah. and the, the Ben Roethlisberger send-off and everything you've heard all the players say, and my, even Mike Tomlin, atmosphere unlike anything I've ever seen, and he was getting weepy. He's not a weepy guy. Mm-mm. You know, he's a straight-ahead guy. Um Obviously, everybody rose to the occasion. Without and question, yeah. Can they do that again? Or was that the equivalent of, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the term, goalpost game in college? You win that goalpost game where you tear down the goalpost because right. you beat your rival, and then the next week you stink. I think they can. I mean, maybe not to that level. And frankly, I was not impressed with Cleveland, as I mentioned last segment. I mean, I be- wasn't either, though. I got to say, Baker Mayfield, if nothing else, is a tough son of a gun. He is tough. I will never take that away from him. He is tough, and he's played through many injuries. Um, but it's the Ravens for one more game. I think they're going to play very hard and not maybe to that level of intensity, but I think it's going to be in the neighborhood. I don't think that's crazy. And do you think uh, Baltimore having lost five in a row – uh, I made the comment uh, in the press box uh, when I found out they lost Marlon Humphrey for the year, oh. and I've said it on various shows since then. I thought at that point, and that was uh, back on December 5th when the Steelers survived the Ravens 20-19, to I thought at that point Baltimore was done winning mm-hmm. and one more, ga- one more game to go till I'm proven right. Right, and it was, it's a bold statement, and you were right. They've lost three in a row to the Steelers. They've lost five in a row, although they played the Rams and Packers really tough, I mean, to be honest with you. Almost won. Almost won. Almost won. You know what they call almost winning? (laughs) Losing. I mean, even earlier in the year, though, they weren't as good as their record. I mean, they, they had a lot of bounces and things go their way. But just like we said about Tomlin, I mean, I overshot it. There's not 15 or 20 guys in the league that can win, in the world, that can win consistently. But the Ravens have one, too. I mean, they've overcome... More than the Steelers have had to overcome this year. I mean, it's been a remarkable run of injuries for them. Yeah, great organization. A lot of respect for them. And uh, I'm sure 
they'll show up with what they have. I just I got a sneaking suspicion Steelers win this one. I'm leaning that way too. I don't think I, I don't think it's going to work out with Jacksonville, but uh, right. we shall see. That's going to do it for us. Thanks to Merrill for joining us again, as he always does. Thanks to Shirtless Tom for keeping us on the air, and thanks to you for finding us, however and wherever you did. For Matt Williamson, I'm Mike Pursuta. This has been Steelers Preview on your Steelers flagship 102.5 DVE and SNR. Good night, everyone.